Awakening is a presentation of WYM, Westminster Youth Ministry. The foundation of the Christian faith is the person and work of Jesus. There is so much that Jesus did during his time on earth that affects the way we live. In this series called Navigating with Jesus, we will look at different aspects of Jesus' life, such as him being the Son of God, the promised Redeemer, prophet, priest, king, and many others. Each week we will focus on a topic and we will ask two questions. What is it and why does it matter? We hope that this study will help you better understand your relationship with Jesus. We hope you enjoy. All right, so what we're going to be doing this semester is we're going to be going through a series that I'm calling Navigating with Jesus. And what we're going to do each week is we're going to take something specific about Jesus, some examples. Tonight we're going to talk about him being the promised one. We're going to look at Jesus as prophet. We're going to look at Jesus as priest. We're going to look at Jesus as king, as redeemer, as friend. There's a whole list of topics we're going to go through. But each week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a specific thing about Jesus. And we're going to say, what is this and why does it matter? So for tonight, we're going to look at what does it mean that Jesus is the promised one and why does that matter to you as an individual in 2024? Why should it matter? So before we do that, let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for this time. I ask that you would be with us as we open your scriptures tonight. I ask that you would teach us and shape us and mold us to be more like you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you all familiar with a guy named with MacArthur? Who was he? But he was a general during World War II, and the story goes that he's commanding some troops in the Philippines, and he has to retreat. And on his way out of the Philippines, he promises all the soldiers that had to stay, "I'm going to come back." He promises that I'm going to come back. The promise was made that I'm going to return, and the point of that promise was to give hope and inspiration to these guys that are going to be fighting against the Japanese until he can come back and they can continue to move forward with the war. Now, the promise of return is actually what allowed these soldiers to to hold strong and to hold fast. Had he just said, you know what, I'm out, you guys just do your thing, right? They probably would have been like, Wait, what are we to do, right? No, but he says, I'm going to come back. They had to wait. It must have been hard, but the promise was there. Okay, I share that with you because there's a promise that we see at the beginning of Scripture. There's a very specific promise that we see at the beginning of Scripture. And the difference between this story, the one I just told you, and the promise that we're about to read is that General MacArthur was not guaranteed to actually come back. He could have gotten sick and died. He could have just changed his mind and be like, you know what, we're actually not going to go back. Or he could have easily just been told no by his superiors. There's a whole slew of reasons why he could have just not come back. The promise that we see here in Genesis chapter 3 is a promise that was never, ever, ever going to be broken. And it's a promise that means everything for you and me. Our passage, we're going to see God's promise is different. Even in the beginning of the Bible, we see a clear picture of the Messiah, of the promised coming one. So tonight, 
here's kind of our, our main point. The promise of Genesis 3.15 means everything to us. The promise of Genesis 3.15 means everything to us. So, I've been trying to do this each semester where we ask the same questions every night for the sake of continuity. If you like taking notes, this is helpful. So the two questions are, what does this mean? Why does it matter? So what does this mean? I'm going to invite Davy up to come up and read Genesis 3, 8 to 19 for us. Genesis 3, 8 to 19. All right. Genesis 3, 8 to 19. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth your children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Alright, so the fall had brought about many consequences into the world, and Adam and Eve felt the burden of shame, so they hid themselves, as if they could, right? The God of the universe is walking in the garden, and what do they do? They jump into a bush. Like, think about how foolish that is, right? They think that they can actually hide from him. But, but what does God do here? He's actually pursuing his people because he loves them. In verse 9, he says, where are you? And it's not as if God doesn't know where they are. This is an invitation. Where are my people? Where are my beloved Adam and Eve? He wants to know them and he's looking for them. Okay? Adam probably thought that they were in big trouble, right? And rightfully so. They did the one thing, they had one job, right? And they didn't do it. So Adam is probably thinking God is going to kill us. He's going to smite us. Things aren't going to go well. However, what we actually see here is the God of the universe inviting his people back into relationship with him. Yes, there's going to be consequences for their sin, but there's also a gracious invitation here. Okay? God is doing something very specific. Now, so the consequences are very different for both men and women. Okay? For Eve, there will be great pain in childbearing, and we can assume that because of this beforehand, this was not a painful process. It would have been a relatively easy process, The process of bringing a child into the world is a long, painful, uncomfortable experience for women. No matter what the culture tries to tell you, this is only for women. Men can't bear children. No matter what the culture tells you. So the process of bringing a child into the world is, again, it's a long, uncomfortable, painful thing. And it is this process and the painful part of it is a curse 
And that is specifically given for women. Okay, and the burden is this. Nine months of carrying a small human being inside of your womb. There's going to be fatigue. There's going to be exhaustion. Back pain. Okay? When a child grows inside of a womb, it pushes against other organs, which means you have to pee a lot because it's pushing against your bladder, which means it's pushing around all the... It's uncomfortable. Okay? This is not something that is just, oh, this is pleasant and wonderful and I love every second of it. No. Nobody says that. Things like morning sickness and postpartum depression. These are all parts of the curse of the fall. And on top of that is the whole birthing process, which we're not going to get into because it's not pleasant. Okay? And then after the baby is born, then you have to deal with something that poops and cries and pees and demands every ounce of your attention. So the whole process of bringing a child into the world it's no longer this super joyous thing 100% of the time. Now, that does not say that bringing children into the world is not a joy. I love my children, and it has been an absolute joy for me to watch them grow. But it's not easy. Y'all, y'all are not easy. Can I be honest with you? Y'all, as ch- y- y'all are children. I'm going to say it. Y'all are not easy to grow and to shape and to mold. Okay? You make it very difficult for your parents. But your parents love you, and it's a joy for them. So the whole thing is going to be a struggle. And on top of that, there's going to be this constant power struggle that she's going to try and fight with Adam over. Her desires will now be contrary to her husband's. Okay? Before this, before the fall, there was this healthy dynamic that God had set up. Okay? It's this beautiful thing where Jesus establishes routines and roles for both men and women. And it went unchallenged because it was good. Right? God created it as good. There was no sin involved. So everybody was doing what they were created to do, and there was no problem with it because sin had not entered into the situation. But Adam was created to be the head. Okay, So there's this creative order where Adam was created as the head of the family, and Eve was going to walk alongside Adam and serve him. He was going to serve her. They were going to love each other well. Is this beautiful thing. This is what we were created for, to be in community with one another. Yet, because of sin, Eve's desire now is to usurp that authority, to usurp that role. And because of this, there's going to be conflict, which is why God says, He's going to rule over you. Okay? And it's not like He's going to lovingly shepherd and lead you. No, it's going to be this, this power dynamic now. Before it was this beautiful relationship, and now it's just going to be this absolute struggle between husband and wife. This is why... People who are married fight because there's no longer perfect harmony. There's disagreements. Now, the whole idea of he shall rule over you, there's there's a problem with Adam here too. Okay, We're going to get to that in just a moment. But part of the curse is the childbearing portion, and now there's going to be this fighting, bitter power struggle. So for Adam, the consequences. Notice the tone shift that happens when he talks to Adam. He starts by recognizing that Adam had absolutely failed in his leadership. So he was created as this head of the family. He had one job, which was to lead his family. And what did he do? He got lazy. He didn't do it well. And there's some weightiness here that we should recognize. Adam had the responsibility of upholding God's standard, and he didn't do it. So he says, cursed is the ground because of you in verse 17. It's not because of Eve. It's not because of the serpent. It's because of you, Adam. Like the full blame and brunt of the curse of the ground is on 
Adam and his failure. So the ground is going to be cursed and be subject to the pains and suffering of hard work. Men are now going to feel the weight of being overworked, addicted to their work, neglecting their families, hating their jobs, being tempted with laziness. Not that women can't struggle with this, but this is, this is something that, that Adam has to bear the full weight of now. Adam's work, which was once a joy, is now a burden to him. What he was created to do, he was created to work the earth and produce things. Now, it's hard. Now, it's a burden. Remember when God said to Eve, he shall rule over you? Now, Adam's temptation is going to be to domineer and use force and use his power in unhealthy, ungodly ways. Ways that shouldn't be used to lead a family. As the head of a family, he should be a person of grace and love. And now he's going to use it to strong arm and to control and to put down. Okay? So the whole creative order has been ruined at this point because of the fall. But in the midst of that, there comes a promise. In the midst of all this chaos and all this curse comes a promise. Look at verses 14 and 15. says, the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the fields. On your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And here's the promise. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Why does this matter? The whole idea that Jesus is the promised one. This is why this matters. The serpent, he pronounces a curse. Okay. And in a very literal sense, this plays out in that, you know, there's not a whole lot of people that actually like snakes. Okay. There's very few. When I see a snake, I just want to walk the, the other way. I don't like snakes. So in a, in a literal sense, the snake is cursed because not many people like, like snakes. But in a spiritual sense, this is what this means. God is putting Satan in his place. God is putting Satan in his place. And here is how he does this. And why this is so important for us. Look at this great promise. This is what's, I'm going to use a fancy theological term here. This is what's called the, the proto-euangelion. The first gospel is what that translates as. The first gospel. Here at the beginning of God's word, God is making a promise to defeat all evil and defeat Satan. There's going to be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. There's going to be enmity between God's people and Satan himself, the evil one. And here in the third chapter of the Bible, we're only three chapters in, and we already have a promise. Jesus is here in this promise. The Messiah will come, and he's going to do what? He's going to crush the head of the serpent. It's not like he's just going to, like, you know, kick the serpent away, or, like, take a stick and brush it away. What is he going to do? He's going to crush Satan's head. See, Adam and Eve, they had already failed to represent mankind. They had the standard of upholding God's words and his law and his command to them, and they failed. So only he could do it. Only the Messiah could. Now turn to 2 Timothy 1.9. I want you to see something. 2 Timothy 1.9 tells us something very, very interesting and something very beautiful, and I want you to catch this. It says this, Who saved us, and this is talking about Jesus here, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. And here's the part I want you to see. Before the ages began. Why does Jesus being the promised one matter to you? Because 
that promised one would save us and he would call us to this holy calling as it describes here. And he saves us from sin, brings us into relationship with him. And the beautiful thing is, he doesn't do that because we're attractive or that we've figured things out. See, the curse of the fall guaranteed that we would never be attractive and we would definitely never figure things out on our own. We needed a Messiah and God sent one. And even more beautifully, look at the end of that verse. He sent a Messiah in Jesus because of his purpose and grace. And when did that come about? Before the ages began. Which means that the God of the universe did not consider your salvation an afterthought or simply a response to the fall. God knew that the fall would happen and he had a plan for you. What that means for you is that he was thinking of you and how he could show you his love even before the ages began. Before creation even happened, he was thinking of you. He loves you that much. You're part of his creation. So, what does all this mean? I want you to think about this. Has anyone ever made a promise to you that they broke? What does that feel like? You can answer this out loud. Please raise your hand. What does it feel like? Okay. It makes you feel angry. What else? What goes through your hearts and minds when someone breaks a promise to you? Disappointment? Sadness? Feelings of hurt? Right? Stress? There's countless promises that have been made to us in our lifetimes that are either forgotten, broken, or simply just rationalized away. Yet, here's one promise that will never, ever, ever be broken. It's the promise of Jesus. God is a God of promises. He loves to make promises. Why? Because he's perfect and he can keep every single one of them. We can't go five seconds without failing in some way, shape, or form. Yet the God of the universe promised to send someone to put Satan in his place, and he's going to defeat his enemy. Romans 12.6 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Hebrews 2.14-15 Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood... He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who fear of death, who are subject to lifelong slavery. And lastly, Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and all the false prophets were, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. The Bible ends with that right there in Revelation 20. Where does it begin? The promise of Jesus doing that right there, which he's going to do in Revelation 20. He's going to crush the head of the great deceiver, Satan. The one who leads us into sin. He's going to defeat that enemy. And that's a promise that he's given to us. It's a promise that will be kept. That's a promise that should mean everything to you as you navigate life. This is the basis for everything that we believe. That God loves us enough that he would send his son to die for us. So let's unpack that a little bit in small groups. But let me pray for us, and then we'll head out. Gracious Father, we love you. We thank you that you are a God of promises, and we ask that as we wrestle with you as the promised one, we ask that you would help us to love you more, help us to love you better, and ask that you would teach us to be more like you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an ear out for more audio upcoming from WYM.